Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark chapter 1, Into the Wilderness. This is part two of a message that we began a few Sundays ago. Into the Wilderness of Temptation. We're going to be talking about temptation. If you don't deal with that, you can go ahead and leave now. But anybody else... (laughs) who does, stick around. It's going to be great. We're going to get a lot of insight from the Word of God into the wilderness of temptation. I just heard from a church member that there's a family in Romania. uh, They were from Romania living in Norway. And I got some bits and pieces of the story, but basically what's happening is that there's a Romanian pastor moved to Norway, family of five children, taught them to pray. The kids were praying at a public school were arrested for praying, and the government has taken all the children away and is trying to put them into the system and get them adopted to different homes and taken away from their parents. So I guess it's illegal to pray in Norway. Um, Hope it doesn't happen here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of the scriptures, the hope that we have. There's so much nonsense going on in our world, Lord, but the church has always experienced persecution. It's just, it's just what you told us is going to happen, and we can't always make sense of it. We don't understand it, but we are going to pray that you would bring these children back to their family, back to their mom and dad. We, we know there's a lot of petitions out there, a lot of people that are um, picketing and making their voices known, and we're grateful for that, but we, we pray that you would move in a mighty way to bring deliverance to this family. And we pray over our nation with all that's going on in our country, Lord, and the the divisions that happen here and the waywardness that occurs. And we know um, we're on the heels of another major election in our country. And we just pray that the church will rise up and there will be a voice of clarity and hope and light and truth. As we look to this message about the wilderness and about temptation, Lord, we, we need your help so desperately. We face it every day, every moment of every day. Sometimes temptation is so intense, we don't even know what we're going to do. And you've provided a way of escape, and you've provided a Savior, a Lord, a great high priest in heaven, whoever lives to help his people, to intercede for them. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you provide a way of escape. Thank you that you're an ever-present help in time of need. We are needy people, Lord. We confess it. So please fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you would say to your people, your church. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Mark 1. Last time we were together, I pointed out to you this emergence of a word wilderness in the text, Mark chapter 1. This is what scholars would call the wilderness tradition that emerges from the Old Testament in the life of Israel. We saw the voice, Mark 1.3, of John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. He was a fulfillment of prophecy. Notice the word wilderness there. In Hebrew, the wilderness word is transliterated into English as midbar. It's M-I-D-B-A-R. It speaks of a wide open place. The Greek word can speak of a place of abandonment. But the word midbar also has a root meaning of speech or mouth. And I mentioned to you that The wilderness is also the place of the word. It's the place where God does training. He shapes and molds 
his vessels. And here, John is in the wilderness, and he's crying. He's trying to prepare the people. He says, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Last time, we looked at Jesus' approach. John says, verse 8, Mark 1, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, we don't get the detail from Mark, but other gospel writers tell us that when he approached, John said to him, you come to me for baptism. I need to be baptized by you. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of your sandal. And Jesus' response was, let this be so that we might fulfill all righteousness. And I gave you a picture I said, Jesus coming to John for baptism because he said it was a baptism of repentance and he was calling people to come into the Jordan and prepare the way of the Lord would be like Jesus coming in the back doors of the church and I gave an altar call and I said, hey, if you want to receive the Lord and you want to get right with God, come forward. And Jesus himself, if he came forward at my altar call, what would I do? Imagine I walked down to the front and Jesus looked me in the eye and said, I'm here for the altar call. And I said, uh... I need to come to your altar call and you come to me. And I mentioned to you that there's an insight and this insight is given in a wonderful commentary by William Lane on the Gospel of Mark. And he says, what Jesus is really doing in the wilderness is he is identifying with us. He's identifying with people like us. He's identifying namely with the people of Israel because when they hear the word wilderness, they think of failure, that's where they all failed. That's where only two men, Joshua and Caleb, went into the promised land. And their failure was centered around one idea, unbelief. So here's Jesus. And he comes to John and John says, no, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let this be so. Because this is really the beginning of his earthly ministry journey. He's already been born of a virgin. He's already identified with us in terms of his humanity. But now he begins a public ministry where he will identify with us in the wilderness, if you will. His whole ministry was about the wilderness. In fact, somebody said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. You better consider what you're saying before you commit to follow me. His whole life was really about the wilderness. And here he is in the wilderness coming to John. And something profound, something miraculous occurs. It says immediately, Mark 1.10, coming up out of the waters of baptism, out of the water, he saw Jesus did the heavens opening and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now that's where we left off last time. And we talked about some of the implications of Jesus' baptism. There's another place where this kind of miraculous occurrence happens and it's at the Mount of Transfiguration later in Jesus' ministry. It's recorded by Mark and Luke and Matthew. And in that, on that occasion, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain, and the glory cloud begins to descend over them, and they're frightened and freaked out, and it's, uh, Jesus is transfigured, and the voice of the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son, in Him I am well pleased. And then he adds, do you remember? Listen to Him. 
The wilderness is the place of the word. Jesus goes into the waters of baptism. This would remind the Israelites that when God was coming down on Sinai, they needed to go through a cleansing process before they could meet the Lord. And now Jesus Christ is on a mountain, almost reminiscent of Sinai, and the glory cloud comes over that particular area, and there Jesus is, it's all Old Testament imagery here, you guys. And the Lord is saying, my son is the answer. My son is the answer for the lost sheep of Israel, but not just for them, for any person who's a lost sheep. He's the answer. And here's the deal. Jesus is going to retrace the steps of fallen Israel. It's been silent for 400 years. Malachi is the last prophet. John begins to preach in the wilderness and Jesus' steps in the wilderness are all to retrace where Israel failed, he is going to succeed. Where they fell, he is going to stand tall. And the reason he does it is because he loves you. Mark 10, 45, I told you, is probably the theme verse of the gospel of Mark. And Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He's going to do for Israel and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the intention of the wilderness. That's the wilderness tradition that is emerging in the text. And this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus, the embodiment of the word, the one who is called the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's about to show us how to do it, how to deal with temptation, how to overcome temptation. But the first thing I want you to see is with the water and the cloud and the heavens opening, that there are, there are images that are going back to the Old Testament. Now, there's a key passage in 1 Corinthians 10. It's to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a verse that many of us are familiar with. We may not always realize the context, but the Apostle Paul is going back and he's looking at the wilderness, wilderness wanderings of Israel and he's writing to a Gentile church. The church at Corinth was a Gentile church planted in a place much like Las Vegas or New Orleans or something like that. And he's writing and he goes back and he tells the story of Israel. He says, look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, that is the Israelites, were all under the cloud. Now, I mentioned to you that when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, that cloud comes. All passed through the sea. All were baptized, notice 1 Corinthians 10, 2, into Moses. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, in the cloud, and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock. This is a picture of the wilderness, which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was what? Not well pleased. Now think about it. When the heavens open at his baptism, he says, that's my beloved son whom I love. With him I am what? Well pleased. But with Israel, he was not well pleased. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 29, I always do the things that please my father. And he was in conflict with the Jewish leadership and they were questioning, where, where did you come from? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, you know what? My word has no place in you. But if you want to be my disciple, then you need to abide in my word. And if you abide in my word and you do what it says, 
you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you follow sin, you will be a slave to sin. And they said, ah, we've, we've never been in bondage to anyone. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you have. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia. The guys who responded to Jesus' comments were now under Roman occupation as a nation. Oh, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Hello? That's just simply denial, which you know is only a river in Egypt anyway. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. But that was their problem. They kept wanting go, to go back to Egypt. As soon as it got difficult, they were ready to turn tail and go back. How about you? How much heat does it take for you to say, you know what, I don't, I'm not sure I can do this Christian thing. How many of you are ready to wave the white flag or have been in the past? You know, sometimes we feel like, let's be honest, we feel like we, I don't even know if I can make it. Sometimes it seems temptation is so intense, it seems like it'd be so easy just to get back on the caravan and go back to Egypt. Yeah, there's slavery there, but, you know, it's hard in the desert sometimes. It's hard in the wilderness, but the wilderness is the place where God shapes and molds. And this is the work that he's doing in the people of Israel. And he says, look at this, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Everybody should have this verse memorized. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, in light of this truth, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There, every temptation that you and I face is common to all of us. Sometimes when you are facing a temptation, you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're on temptation island. <laughs> Nobody else goes through this. Nobody knows the sorrow I've seen, <laughs> right? It just gets like, you, you think, does any other Christian go through this stuff? Answer, yeah, it's common to all of us. The promise that we have is not that God will remove the fire of temptation necessarily. The promise in verse 13 is that he will provide the way, and I think the way speaks of he is the way. He's not only the way of salvation, he's the way out of temptation. He'll provide a way of escape. Whenever you are tempted, you can be assured, based upon this verse, that he will always illuminate a way out. The question is, will you take it? That's up to you. He will give you a way of escape, but you must take the exit. And temptation is tough to deal with. Temptation is a Greek word, parazzo. It can mean temptation or test, depending on the context. It's the same Greek word. So depending, God never, James 1, 12 and 13 says, God never tempts anyone to do evil. But God will sometimes take a temptation and use it for a test 
to make us better. He doesn't tempt us to do evil, but God will sometimes allow us to be in a situation where he illuminates a door and he says, take the exit. I'll tell you this, in the first five years of my Christian walk, I was a disaster. I kept trying to go back to my old life. I kept trying to go back to Egypt. I thought, well, maybe you can live, you know, this Jesus thing is cool. So I had a foot in Jesus and then I had a foot in the world and I was a miserable soul. Somebody once said, when you have a foot in Jesus and a foot in the world, you're a fence sitter and picture a picket fence and now you got it. (laughs) It's not so comfortable place to be. So oftentimes I would go back to my old life and I would fail and I would go into depression. I would feel miserable and and that cycle happened. And I just want to tell you, if you're there, if you're a newer Christian, I'm not excusing what I did. I'm not proud of what I did. But I went through a season like that where I tasted and I saw that the Lord was good, but yet I was feeling this pull back to the land of Egypt and all that it had. And then finally, it, was, it seemed like one thing at a time, the Lord just started removing from my life and he was showing me things. He was showing me truth and showing me depth, showing me substance. He was showing me, this is what life is about, Michael. It's not about you and about your pleasures and about your portfolio. It's about me and how I want to use you. And I tell you what, I've had, I had some poignant moments in my life where as close as I've ever gotten to hearing an audible voice from the Lord, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, decide. I want to use you, Michael, but you need to let that thing go. And I would wrestle with the Lord. Because temptation, by definition, is tempting. If it weren't, it wouldn't matter to me. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Temptation comes in alluring packages. It looks good. It's that shiny, forbidden fruit. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's able to make one wise. And the devil's usually there. In temptation, what does he say? Hey, God knows. God's been holding back from me. I know there's 2,000 fruit trees you can choose from, but it's this one that you really need. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything else goes out of focus, and it's that one tree you have to have. It's like the siblings on Christmas morning fighting over the toy. He got that. I want that in mine, 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 mine. They'll fight over an empty box. Why? Because he has it and I don't. Then you grow up and you're driving and you see the guy with the car over there. And sheesh, <laughs> but deep down, you're like, oh man, I, I'd like that. <laughs> Why does he have it? I heard the story of Aurelio Barreto. He was guy that founded the C28 stores that you've seen in the uh, Riverside Tyler Mall. I'm not sure if it's still there, but he had a company called Dog Glue, and it was a doghouse made to look like an igloo, and he sold it for millions of dollars, got a big windfall. He went to a Porsche dealer in the Inland Empire, bought this brand new turbo red, cherry red Porsche convertible. I don't know what the model was, but anyway, it's the one everybody wants. And he said he was cruising down the 91 freeway as a non-Christian and a wave of emptiness just came over his soul. He paid cash for the car. And he said he felt totally empty. And I just thought to myself, I just would like to try it. Just to see (laughs) if I'd feel that same emptiness. (laughs) But he was a non-Christian. And he was experiencing 
what all of us, I think, who have come to Christ have come to realize. It doesn't matter what you possess. If that thing becomes an idol to you, you're lost. You're putting another God before the God of the Bible. I'm not attacking anybody who drives something red. <laughs> That's fast. As long as you're not waxing it on Sunday morning instead of being here. And if you find yourself starting to fall before it, watch out. There are idols everywhere, and idols are simply a heart-level substitute to take the place of God. They're things that we turn to. Instead of turning to God, we turn to the idol. And sometimes, let's be honest, we do it in our temptation. We get tempted, we get overwhelmed by life, and we go back to that old thing that somehow will bring us some solace, or at least we think so. And usually when we do that, we add another problem to our lives. Some of us nervously eat, or you know, people smoke, or people drink, or they, and they do all this stuff, and they think, well, oh, this is my escape. No, Jesus is your escape. He is the way of escape. But oftentimes, let's be honest, when we face temptation, we don't call upon him. But he's invited us to a throne of grace when we have a need. He already knows what you're going through anyway. It's not like you're going to hide it from him. Lord, could you look away for her? No. He already knows. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows the struggles that you go through. So it would be good just to let him in formally. Just say, Lord, you know I'm here. You know I'm struggling with this whether it's anger, whether it's covetousness, whether it's lust, whatever it is. He says, come. He invites us to a throne of grace. We might find help in our time of need. He's experienced the wilderness. He knows what it's about, and he's there. Now, the wilderness tradition actually comes uh, from several passages. Deuteronomy 8 is the one I want to focus on. Deuteronomy 8, Genesis, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Moses is writing his last book and he's getting ready to pass the baton of leadership and he's going to die. And he says these words to Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8.1 All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, Deuteronomy 8.2. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, Deuteronomy 8.3, and he let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna. They ate the bread of angels, as we're told in one of the Psalms, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now we're going to see that when Jesus is done with his baptism, that same spirit that descended upon him like a dove drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And three times the devil tempts him. Mark's account is very brief. There's a brevity to it. It's expanded upon in Luke, and it's expanded upon in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And the first of three temptations recorded there is the devil coming to Jesus. He's been fasting for 40 days, just like Moses did up on the mountain. And the devil says, hey, if you're the son of God or since you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Use your power. 
God must be holding back. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. Why are you hungry right now? By the way, Jesus faced a literal devil in the wilderness, mano y mano. The devil is not some symbolic figure in the Bible for evil. He is literal. There is a literal enemy. The Bible says he's on the prowl, 1 Peter 5, 8. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour. Literally, the Greek is he wants to drink you down. Jesus comes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, just FYI, Satan's been asking for you by name. That he might what? Exalt you? No, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Can you imagine me and Peter? Lord, did you really have to tell me that? Couldn't you have just prayed for me? <laughs> I want you to know he's on the prowl. Now, what comes before 1 Peter 5, 8 is this promise. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he what? He cares for you. The very next verse is about a lion on the prowl who attacks us in moments of weakness. You spoke about the children of Israel as they left Egypt. They were crying out for a deliverer. They got one in Moses. They leave. They start complaining about the provisions of God. I mean, here they were in one scene, and now they come out, and they're not even happy with what they were given. Even especially with protection. Isn't it just like us, Oscar? Yeah. You know, we, we can remember, think of these days. Um, I, I, had, I had these moments as an unbeliever, kind of crying out uh, for fulfillment, for answers, for meaning. And even having some moments, I have to admit, where I was almost thinking, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, um, you know, I'll serve you. And then you get delivered and you get saved and you get baptized and you plug into a local church and you start to serve in a ministry, but then maybe things don't go your way and you start crying and whining and, and look, there's a lot of brothers and sisters right now listening to this that can relate to this and you go back to Egypt and for what? You forget about the taskmasters and the whipping you took doing the mud dance for Pharaoh wondering if you're ever going to be out of this spot. You get delivered, but then the Christian life isn't everything that you thought it might be, especially as you go on in the Christian life. And um, we can get whiny. We can want to go back to Egypt. And so Israel, uh, as a nation, becomes very much a picture of humanity, where even though God delivers us, we're not always happy with how he does things or the timing of things. Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry. But one of the things that we're trying to do is help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth to walk by faith and not by sight. A great name change. We're going to have a new site. We're excited about this new, call it a new branding for the ministry. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.